Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to jump just a little piece and go to uh, verses 12 to 17, okay? I believe it'll be on the screen behind me as well. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, You will be blessed if you do them. Good morning. As Bobby mentioned, our guest speaker this morning is Dr. Stanley Long. And in your message notes, if you turn, we have sort of a highlighting his background and his lifelong service to God's church and God's people. And uh, the first line is standing along as Pastor Emeritus of uh, South Bay Community Church. So you hear the word emeritus and you think, oh, okay, I get it. Stan's kind of in that kickback mode of life these days. He uh, sits in his study at home in the mornings and looks at, reads his biography and kind of looking back over his shoulder and thinking, this has been a good life. Stan is anything but that type of emeritus person. He's a man who has faithfully served God throughout his life, but continues to press forward. He embodies Paul's self-description that he wrote uh, to the church in Philippi, these words. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, forgetting the bio, and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Would you please join me in welcoming the man 
behind the message, a man who is diligently pressing on towards the future, my friend, Stan Long. Stan. Well, thank you for having me here this morning. It is a privilege to be here with you. I, uh, I was thinking as I was driving over this morning, we've had many staff meetings at this campus when I was pastoring, and uh, I've always received such kindness and such support and such love and acceptance, and uh, I am delighted to be able to come and share with you this morning. I am retired. I haven't the faintest idea what that means, Nothing in my life has changed, uh, and I'm excited about that. If you could form a sentence that would adequately describe your life in six words, what would those six words be? It is said that uh, Julius Caesar, the great Roman leader sent a runner back to Rome to explain the, the details of one of his great battles. There were so many maneuvers and so many orders and so much detail that the runner was not allowed to, to tell all that uh, had taken place. So he simply summed it up in six words. He came, he saw, he conquered. What is true of Caesar's battle can also be true of one's life. A thief can say, I came, I saw, I stole. Or a teacher could say, I came, I saw, I taught. In fact, it could also be said of Jesus. He came, he saw, he saved. But what about you? You came, you saw, you fill in the blank. What would you put in that blank? You see, if you are a Christian, what should go in that blank is served. One of the things that I have noticed about Christians is this, that the, the closer one gets to God, the, the more one's life develops a kind of outward focus. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebrating a celebration of discipline says this, it's clear that service for a Christian is not an option, it's a way of life. Now, I recognize that there are people who see service strictly from an ethical point of view and serve others without God anywhere in the picture. And I also recognize that there are Christians who replace God with service, and their good works are not an outward flow of their relationship with God, but an attempt to impress God or impress others with what they do. 
But neither of these is what Foster was talking about, and it's not what I'm talking about either. What, what we are saying is that the closer we get to God, the more we want to assist him in the healing of our world. The closer we get, the more our lives is committed to serving others. Now, I recognize that this is a, is a view of living life that, that the disciples of Jesus had difficulty comprehending. So Jesus not only taught that serving was God's desire for his people, but he modeled it. He modeled it as a way of life. Every day for him was an opportunity to be about the Father's business, healing, encouraging, telling God's story, and then to drive it home to his followers The text that was read or is on your bulletin walks you through the example that he gives of taking off his outer robe, putting on the towel, and beginning to wash his disciples' feet. Washing feet was slaves' work. Even Jewish servants could could not be forced to wash their master's feet. It was a task that was reserved for the lowest of the Gentile slaves. And sometimes a child would wash a parent's feet or a wife would wash the feet of her husband or a friend would wash a friend's feet in a display of extreme affection. But this particular case, Jesus took the place of a slave before his disciples, he willingly humbles himself to serve his followers. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples without being asked to do so. They were shocked when Jesus began to wash their feet. They were shocked because in their culture, that was something that was done by he who was on the lowest end of the spectrum. It was a breach of hospitality to fail to wash a guest's feet. Disciples should have been falling all over one another to wash his feet. But it never entered their minds to serve him that way. Apparently, they were all waiting for someone else to do the service, but not Jesus. Jesus served with no expectation of reward. There's there's no record that even one of them said thank you. Jesus did what he did just because he wanted to, not because he was looking for anything in return. He served his disciples by washing their feet from a a willing heart. No one twisted his arm. He, He voluntarily took the place of a slave and served his men. Jesus served those who did not deserve to be served. The, the, if you stop for a moment and, and think about it, he, he washed the feet of Simon Peter. And before the night would end, those feet would stand at a Roman fire and deny that their owner even knew who Jesus was. He washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. His his feet had already carried him to the Jewish leaders where he he bargained away the life of Jesus for a few pieces of silver. 
before this night would end, those same feet would carry him back to the Jews where he would completely abandon Jesus to his enemies. He washed the feet of the other ten, and before the night would end, all those feet, all those feet would run away in fear. And Jesus knew what each one of them would do with their feet. And yet he served them anyway. In fact, everything Jesus did that night reminds us of who he is and what he came to this world to do. And let me, let me run through that real quickly. In verse 4, he laid aside his outer garment. Jesus had already laid aside his heavenly glory to be born in human flesh, Philippians chapter 2. In verse 4, he girded himself with a towel. The words refer to a, a knotted cloth or a slave saver's apron. Jesus had already robed his de uh, uh, deity in humanity where he came to this earth as a man. In verse 5, he poured water into a basin to cleanse the dirty feet of his men. Jesus would soon pour out his precious blood to cleanse the dirty souls of all people. In verse 5, he washed and dried the feet of his disciples. He would wash away the awful stains of sin from the souls of all those who would receive him. But there is something about serving that is not very appealing. It seems as though it's not inviting to be a servant. Serving is an excellent antidote to pride. In fact, I read a great quote that said, pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the person who has it. <laughs> Serving doesn't appeal to us because we, we tend to be a culture that is self-absorbed. It is so natural to, to be posturing for position and perks and prestige and recognition. We want to be generals, not privates, servant leaders, not servants. I've been wondering, why would God want us to be servants? That intrigues me. Why would God want us to be a servant? And I came up with four possibilities. They're, they're in your notes, and you probably could come up with four more besides these. But let me run through these just to challenge your thinking a little. Being a servant provides us an opportunity to display the mindset of kingdom people. In Matthew 25, or chapter 20, in verse 25, Jesus called them together, and this is what he said. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then he puts in this clause, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus' kingdom had already begun right there in that group of 12 disciples, and the kingdom was not set up which some could lord it over others. Instead, the kingdom mindset is that the greatest person would be the servant of all. He redefined greatness. It's interesting that in the Old Testament often spoke of submission and service, but most of the time that was in reference to God. 
Jesus applied the concept of the servant attitude to a person's relationship with another person. He was not only challenging the ethics of the ancient world, he was establishing that the kingdom would be made up of people who do life differently. Paul reinforces that in his, uh, his words to us in, in, the, in Philippians in chapter 2 in verse 3. From the message version, he put it this way. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Kingdom people have a distinct mindset that thinks differently and acts differently. They live their lives in direct opposition to the philosophy of the culture. And may I add, in direct opposition to the American culture. I wonder if God wanted us to be servants because it provides us opportunities to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus sets himself as the example in Matthew. He tells him, I've done this, copy what you see me do. Now, I don't want to reread the text to you because you already have read it and uh, you've already seen it. But there's a sentence in there, uh, two sentences, in fact, I don't want us to miss. He says this. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then in the closing portion of that, another sentence, you will be blessed if you do them. How was Jesus able to humble himself and serve his creation as he did? Think of it. This is the creator of the universe washing the feet of his creation. I think there are some lessons we can draw from Jesus' behavior that can help us become a kind of servant like that. I think, first of all, he had nothing to prove. Jesus didn't have to play games. He didn't project his self-worth. He didn't prove himself to anyone. He had nothing to prove. He was comfortable in his own skin. He knew who he was, why he was here, where he was going. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He knew his position and he didn't need to flaunt it. Maybe we don't quite know who we are. And that makes it hard for us to be a servant. Maybe we need to resolve that issue as who are we? And then Jesus had nothing to lose. Jesus didn't have to guard his reputation or fear he would lose his popularity. He knew the father would take care of his needs. He took risks because he knew the father had his back. He knew his calling and he determined to be faithful to that calling. By the way, may I throw in here, when you serve others, the father takes care of you. I heard an old preacher say once, and I've preached this at my church over and over again, you take care of God's business, he takes care of yours. Jesus didn't have anything to lose, and neither do you. God's got you. He's over you, he's under you, he's around you, he's with you, he's in you, he's got you. So you can serve, you have nothing to lose. 
and he had nothing to hide. Jesus didn't keep up a facade or, or an image wasn't important to him. He, he, he was vulnerable and transparent. His, his integrity meant what you see is what you get. His goal was not to become a celebrity or, or, or to maintain an image. His goal was to simply obey God. And that attitude, that attitude made being a servant possible. I think another reason God wants us to be a servant is, is, is it, it, it does provide us opportunity to pursue lives of significance rather than just so-called success, whatever that is. I found this text the other day. I love it. I tell it all, of, all over the place, and I want to share it with you because I think it, it drives home the point. At age four, success is not peeing your pants. <laughs> At age 12, success is having friends. At age 16, success is having a driver's license. At age 25, success is having sex if you're married. I put that if you're married part in there myself. <laughs> At age 35, success is having money. At age 50, success is having more money. At age 60, success is having sex if you're married. At age 70, success is having a driver's license. At 75, success is having friends. At 80, success is not peeing in your pants. So you see, this whole success thing, whatever that is, it kind of puts life in perspective, doesn't it? But what defines a successful life? What, what, what does it mean for a life to have an impact? What does it mean for a life to make a difference, to be significant, to leave a mark for all eternity? What, what gives your life strength and energy and power and intensity? It's the key to greatness. It's servants. We all want a life that makes a difference. We all want a life of significance. So, so why do we trade a life of significance for a life of selfishness? Is it because we don't think serving will give us the life we long for? Or is it because we don't see our lives and this world the way we should? If we don't get the big picture and see the real purpose for our lives, we miss what matters most. Servanthood marked the life of the person who split history in half. Jesus, life, Jesus' life still reverberates throughout every culture and every civilization. He did it by coming to be served, not to be served, and to give his life away. Final reason I think God wants us to become a servant is because it, it, it provides us opportunities to get close to him. Wherever there is pain, wherever there is brokenness, Wherever there is suffering, wherever there is injustice, wherever there is heartache, God is there. 
If you really want to know God, if you really want to get close to God, if you really want to work side by side with God, go to where that is. Go to where there's injustice. Go to where there's suffering and brokenness and pain and serve. That's where God is. Working side by side with God gives us a chance to heal some of the pain of our broken world. And joining God in that struggle has a way of knitting us closer together. Actually, I'm from the East Coast. And when I uh, lived in the New York area, there was a a church I used to preach at from time to time in a city called Patterson, New Jersey. It was a Reformed church. pastor's name was Stanley Vanderclay. And in that church, there was a couple, an elderly couple named Moore, John and Inez Moore. John was not an executive in some company. He was just a regular person. But he wanted to serve God. And so what John and Inez would do would be they would go down to the courthouse in Patterson. And they would sit in the courtroom where the judge was passing judgment on those who were slum landlords. And John and Inez would do nothing more than sit and listen. And if they felt that the judge's judgment was unfair, they'd write him a note and say, we don't think you really were fair to that slum landlord. He should pay more. After a while, they stopped writing notes, and they would go to the judge's quarters, and they'd meet him after his sessions. And they would tell him, we don't think that was a harsh enough penalty for that slum landlord. What he's doing to those people is awful. You should do more than what you've been doing. And they did that so much until after a while, the judge would look the courtroom for them. <laughs> and when he would see them, he would ask them, was that good enough? What a way to serve. Older couple simply being there representing God where injustice was taking place. And just simply holding feet to the fire to say, that's not right. You need to do better. Can you imagine what the people of God could do in this culture if we all made a commitment to serve? Can you imagine the impact that we could have if we were willing to pick up our towel and serve? So let me ask you, do you have a towel? He came, he saw, he served. How about you?
You're here. You see. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, our living Christ, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that you would move our spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.